Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And if you've listened to my podcast, you know I've talked with people at all levels of government um, in every single state plus D.C., and uh, I've recently become friends with uh, someone from the Outrun Coalition who's talking about making sure that we can get diverse candidates and of all kinds of people running all over the country and uh, really um, making sure we get perspectives that people might be missing. And I have to say, I am going to talk to one of the coolest people I've talked to in my 150-plus podcast here. He is from Syracuse. That's where he is currently a council member. And um, I know Syracuse from watching college basketball, but he's going to tell me so much more. And his life is much more interesting than just being, quote unquote, from Syracuse. So we're going to get into that. He is Chol Majok, and he is running for Congress. And uh, Chol, thank you so much for spending time with me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me here. And, and I, te- I tell you, we Syracusean take great pride in orange men and orange women. So it's, it's, it's our pride here in the town and... Uh, whether they're doing well or not, we are always rooting for them. I think that's a good college name, the origin. Like that's you know, there's other college names and mascots that are just odd. That one I think is pretty easy to rally around. Yeah, yeah. So we, 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 you know, you come to the Loud House and you you would know that you would know that you came to Syracuse. Yeah, you know. So, um, but you're not from Syracuse originally. I think people are going to be shocked to know that. But, but because, and that's the reason I'm excited to see talk to you. You are a refugee. Um, tell me about. I, I'm sure you told the story many times, but um, you came to this country in 2001, right? Correct, correct. I came in 2001 as as an accompanied refugee minor. And what that is is these are refugee. Uh, kids that that come to the United States without uh, parents or any guardians that that they could lean on. So what the government does is they they put them into foster care. Mm-hmm. So I was in foster care for five years until I aged out. Um, came as part of the Lost Boys of the Sudan, and these were a bunch of uh, kids that that uh, the war had dis- had displaced uh, away from their parents. And, and they had to, you know, uh, travel out of the country to, to seek refuge in the nearby, uh, in the nearby uh, 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 countries, or internally displaced, and they had to go to other part of uh, of the country where it wasn't actually safe, but it was much better than than, than where they were. And then in two thousand and, and in nineteen ninety seven, uh, many religious organization came together and said that we should do something about these boys. Because there were a bunch of us that were just there, uh, no future. And thankfully they came together and said, let's let's do something with them. Let's get let's try to curve a pathway for them. Let's give them opportunities. Uh, religious organizations like Methodist Church, Presbyterian Church, a Catholic uh, charity and Catholic Church, um, and many others, Episcopal Church, um, so they came together and, 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 and resettled us. And, and that's how we came in to, the, to the United States. Uh, there's about three to 4,000 of us that actually, as Lost Boy, that made it to the United States. Uh, I happened to be, to be one that was resettled in Syracuse and in foster care. I think I was the, the only one of the minor uh, or the unaccompanied refugees minors in Syracuse that, that that was placed here with with about 100 of us as laws boy total. 
character that they are. That's it's such an incredible story, and you know we were talking before we started recording. You have five kids. It's something that you can always tell your kids when they complain about their iPad not charging fast enough. Like, oh, your iPad did. Let me tell you about <laughs> my story. Um, but you just said you're like the only one to Syracuse, and obviously you have a very big love for Syracuse. How was? Um, is it a place, it seems like there's a place where there are some other refugees. It seems like it was pretty welcoming. Am, am I getting that right? Of course, of course. Uh, Syracuse, our leaders here have made sure that Syracuse is a sanctuary city mm-hmm. where, where refugees are, are welcome. I mean, there, there, there is, that's a pushback like anywhere else, right. but the, the, the people that are hospitable are much larger than the people who are pushing back. Mm-hmm. So Syracuse has, has, is, is surely a welcoming uh, city. About a, a day ago, our, car, our, our county executive and our mayor just released a statement saying that, you know, they would be willing to take in any refugees from Ukraine if, if the United States government would bring them here. Mm-hmm. So that's how strong uh, and diverse Syracuse is in terms of supporting immigrants and refugees. And there's a, there's a large number of refugees here large. You, you talk about South Sudanese, Sudanese, Congolese, Somalis, uh, Southeast Asian, like Bhutan. Uh, there's, there's, there's still Vietnamese here, although the resettlement for Vietnamese was way back. There's Bosnian here. You, you name wow. it. There's, 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 it's huge here. It's huge. In the metropolitan uh, city of Syracuse, there's over 40,000 uh, immigrants and refugees here this, in, this, in our community. Yeah, that's how big it is. I imagine that is a bigger percentage than in a lot of other bigger cities as well. Um, now, I want to get back to like your own profile, but you mentioned Ukrainian refugees. You know, you're running for Congress, and you are prepared in a way that like no one else running for Congress might be to deal with the moral dilemmas of our time in, in those instances. Um, you know, do you... What do you think when, for people running for Congress or in Congress? What kind? What do you think that they need to think about when approaching issues like this brutality against the Ukrainian people? Well, you know, as somebody, Tony, as somebody that grew up in war, you know, I I always tell my friends that war would be the last thing I vote on mm-hmm. uh, to go into. I know what war does, Tony. Mm-hmm. I know what war does. Uh, especially when you think of the what it does to the vulnerable population. You think of children. You think of elderly. As a child growing up under the war of, of Sudan, uh, I was deprived of my childhood. I was deprived of the culture that I wanted to grow up under. I was deprived of that foundation. I know elderly people that, that were living in their war and had to be displaced and had to be disconnected from their own community sentiment. The thing that they knew, they are at the age where they are seeking peace and that peace was taken away from them. So when I look at war, you put that into uh, into consideration. The other part that people don't think about that affects generation. It doesn't just affect, affect a person, it affects generation. The trauma that the war produced, people don't think about that. And we are quick to jump into wars without thinking about the generational impact of war does. Mm-hmm. When I look at what's happening, Tony, at, at, uh, in, in, in Ukraine and between, uh, between Ukraine and Russia, 
It breaks my heart to see the aggression that the Russian are doing to the Russian government is doing to Ukrainian. Break my heart because I know that 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 is a generational. That's a generational impact that that the, the Ukrainian people are going to have to experience probably in the next in the next 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. And we understand that based, especially as American, when we look at the places that we jumped into to, to, to quote unquote save people, places like Egypt, places like Libya, places like Iraq, those places are permanently destabilized. They are never stable. Mm-hmm. You look at you look at their communities, they are completely destabilized. In, in, in which the argument could be made, were they better off before we went there? Or are they better off after we left? You know, you can argue both ways. But one thing that I know as, as somebody that have lived through that, that experience, you are never better off once you experience war. You're never the same. You're never, never the same for the good. But you, you are worse off. You are worse off. Because I have seen this with, with lost boys here. A lot, a lot of lost boys here in America. And a lot of refugees struggle with that trauma, and they they, they go through substance abuse to try to cope with that trauma. Mm-hmm. We bring them here. We bring them here, thinking that we we're gonna give them a better life. Yes, in which America is a land of opportunity, but with a traumatic background, with a traumatic mindset, it is hard to see opportunities when you are traumatized. And those are the stuff that we have to put into consideration, as especially as Americans. You know, we cannot jump too quickly into wars. Yet at the same time, we got to also defend the vulnerable, mm-hmm. in which right now Ukraine is that. Ukraine does not deserve what the Russian, what the Russian government is doing to, to them. It's, it's absolutely unacceptable. As somebody that grew up under, under aggression and under oppression, they got it. we should help. But at the same time, going in with, with, with the mindset that, you know, war is war has has as as a peace that you can never take back which is which is it destroy people lives it destabilize people and it traumatize people for generations you know um you have a unique perspective not only from your upbringing but looking at your background you worked with the state legislature in new york you're a city council member so you know something about syracuse and local government and now running for congress obviously you've put a lot of thought into these national issues it seems like these days politics is just about thinking to not even just the next general election, but the, to the next primary election. I mean, obviously you have a primary coming up as well. Um, do you think from your experience, you know, that one thing is maybe missing from politics is looking at the generally generational aspects and the long-term 20, 30, 40 year impacts of whatever we do, good, bad, or indifferent. Well, well, for me, I, I, my critique of politics have always been that politics is is moving away from putting people first. Mm-hmm. It's, it's getting into a, 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 a game where where people, where as you said, people are thinking of the next election. People are thinking of the next vote, as opposed to considering that the the whole idea why we were elected in the first place was to take care of people and put people first. That has has been been a problem. Then when you when you go to Washington D.C. You see all these gridlocks because people are, 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 are so much concerned, again, with party politics and ignore people. And, and, and for me, as somebody that, that, that came from outside 
that's living here and is also looking outside in. We we have we we have failed as American. We have failed as American to invest in our present and invest in our future. And what I mean by that is we do not invest very well in our seniors. And our seniors are our present. As well as we do not invest very well in children, mm-hmm. which they are they, they, they are our future. You see so much here in Syracuse, for example, 40% of our children live below poverty. 40%. They live below poverty. Now, that does not count for for children that that parents are one paycheck away from poverty. Right. That doesn't count that. But at the same time, when you look at what we are doing, uh, especially, for example, in the congressional race, we are worried about raising money and how to win the next election. And then when we when we get there, those people are completely forgotten. It, it is it, Tony. It is truly unfortunate. It is truly unfortunate that that our country is moving to that direction, where we do not invest in people. When you invest in people, people see it as an end up. I told you, see it as an investment. When the best the the best investment any country can do is to invest in its people. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't do that very well. We don't invest in our present, which is our senior. We don't take care of our seniors very well. At the same time, for our future, we don't, do not invest very well in our children. And this is why when you come into our urban communities, when you, come, when you go to rural areas, you see so much poverty in those areas. You see so much poverty. And that goes back to the idea that we do not invest very well in, in our people. Politics, we have to be more, uh, con- we have to build more consensus. I'm with the mindset that, you know, I am more for people than I am a Democrat or a Republican. I'm more for people. Whatever works for people, we got to put people first, Tony. We got to, we have to build a strong community and a strong country. Invest in our people. And we don't do that very well. And you have developed this perspective, not like as just an outsider running for the first time. You, like I said, you have some experience in government, both, you know, working at the legislature, right? And then as a, when did you first become so engaged in politics as to not just vote to put, to participate in government and politics? Was there anything, was it an election or someone you met that kind of encouraged you as a younger person to be involved? So growing up, I was I, I was on a farm with my dad. I grew up as as on a farm with my dad, uh, plowing our farmland and making sure that our crops are right, making sure that our cows, goats, chickens are taken care of. And along those lines, my dad was a revolutionary fighter, freedom fighter for South Sudanese people. He was he was uh, one of the first. Actually, the first infantry in the 1983 South Sudanese Civil War. Uh, he was one of the first people to enroll into 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 the army. Wow! And and when he got there, he was bouncing back and forth to go do to go to front line because I remember him telling us a story where he was a sergeant. They went into front line, and all his men were wiped out, and he was the only one left. Wow. And he was he was he was he was hurt pretty bad. He was the only one left. He came back, recovered, and went back. And while he's doing that, Tony, he was raising four children, in which our mother passed early on when I was two years old. 
So as he bounced back and forth, raising orphan children and trying to serve his country, I got really inspired, Tony. Got really, really inspired by my father's dedication to his country, to the service. And I remember him telling me this. He used to go, after he come back from the front line, he would pick up his gun and go hunting. He, he would never sit down. He would pick up his gun, go hunting. He would bring back like antelopes and deers for the community. And then when our village knew that when, when Majok came back, everybody would be okay. And, and what he would do, Tony, he would take all the meat and give, give it to all, 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 all the, the ladies that were there, that were, that were widowed by the war. And, and at the end of the day, we look at it, we, it, we, if we were lucky, we would have the meat for a day or two. And that's it. And he taught us a very important lesson, and I remember this. He said, Joe, investing, get, making sure that we take care of the vulnerable, show the strength of our community, show the strength of men that are in the community. When we, when we get stuff and make sure that the widow, the children are fed, everybody else here in the community will be well. Make sure when, when our children are fed, when our elderly are fed, and especially when we take care of widows, women with our, with our husbands, everybody here will be well. And that was my father, my, and I just saw the dedication in him for public service. Hmm. Again, Leaving, living under the war and my, my, and coming to the United States. I remember when I was in 10th grade, my teacher approached me, Tony, and asked me, Joel, you are two years away from graduating high school. What are you going to do for yourself? I said, I want to go to college. He said, well, she said, what are you going to do that? I said, I don't know, but I want to be an elected official. Hmm. So, and she said, okay, okay, tell me why. And I said, I said, uh, her, na her, her name is uh, uh, Heidi Dwyer. She's, she's just great, great human being. I still remember her, and she actually volunteered for my campaign. Look at that. She volunteered my, for my first election. And we, we, we just, when we remember that, it, like, it was such an emotional moment for us because we, I, she couldn't believe that I remember that and I actually carry on what I told her when I was in 10th grade in high school. Um, <clears throat> So I told her, Mrs. Dwyer, the reason I want to be an elected official is I understand that wherever I go, there's going to be an oppression. And being, being in this country and where I have lived under oppression, people being treated so poorly without dignity and respect, wherever I go, I want to make sure I am in a side where dignity and respect for all people is carried out. And that's why I want to get elected. I want to make sure that whatever government I'm a part of, that it has a respect for its people, that it has dignity for its people, and it listens to its people. And that, that my fight has been purely that, mm -hmm. uh, to, to be able to create a space where people are respected, regardless of your creed, your beliefs, regardless of who you are, that you have respect, that you have dignity, and you are listened to, and you are cared for. That is my, my, my motive for running. And as I, as I stay in this community, push that, and as I stay in America, I see more need to continue to fight for dignity, respect, and, 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 and to listen to people, you know? So, so that in itself is what motivated me to want to do this. And that's why I continue to do this. So it has, it's, it wasn't, wasn't just a thought here. Mm -hmm. This is, this is something I have lived with all my life. 
and I was waiting for the right moment to see to put it into action. And and by the grace of God, it's going. It's, I, I'm, I'm I'm living what what I wanted to do. Well, you lived it by running for local office in Syracuse, and while well, I am in a smaller borough than that, um, I think that that's one place where you can kind of see the hope. You can see things get done on a firsthand basis. You're not just, you're not separated from your community. What have you seen that you can get done on a local level that might inspire you for either both inspire you for better policy as a Congress member of Congress or if someone's listening, called you should run, maybe someone's listening want to run for local office. Like, no, this is why local office matters, why, what we can get done uh, in a place like Syracuse. Well, you know, you know, you know, Tony, and again, this is a different perspective and people may disagree with this. <clears throat> I have always said this. I've always said that I said I always said the biggest the biggest threat to American democracy is not terrorism. People have always said, you know, we got to defend our democracy, we got to fight terrorism because it's a threat to our democracy. Yes, I don't disagree with that, but it's not the number one on the list of a threat against democracy. The number one threat to American democracy here, Tony, is poverty, because poverty has as 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 an angle where it destabilized engagement. There is no democracy without citizen engagement. Citizen engagement is number one to keep democracy alive. What poverty does, Tony, it takes engagement out. Because what it does, it builds poverty, builds pessimism. It builds political apathy. Let me go a little further in that. In the areas that are most impoverished, you will see that their voter turnout, their engagement is very low. Mm -hmm. Because they are, they are worried about other stuff more than voting. Mm -hmm. there's, there's so many things that are much more pressing than voting for them. And they slowly, they slowly move away. And there's no government without people. And as those people move away from their own government, guess what happened? It destabilized government. It, built, it, 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 it doesn't build a strong government. It builds a weak government. Mm -hmm. So poverty is the biggest threat to American democracy. As somebody that has went through foster care, I have seen it in the neighborhood that I was in. The neighborhood that I was in foster care right now has a 74, 74% poverty rate. 74 poverty percent. Wow. Now, when you look at their voting and their engagement in their government, it is very low, Tony. Very low. Now, you think about the strength of democracy in those people's minds. Mm-hmm. You so that's why I always say, instead of worrying about terrorism, Tony, we got to worry about the poverty. It, it, it is eroding our streets. It is eroding our community. We don't think about that. So when I, when, as an elected person, I think about that consistently. And when I think about that consistently, Tony, I think about workforce development. Mm -hmm. How when people get jobs, train, invest in people so that they can, they can do for themselves. Invest in people. So that they are able to provide for their families, provide for themselves, their children, you know, to build a stronger future. Those are the stuff that when I think about, that's what builds a foundation, foundational community. This, that story of the urban community, Tony, is the same story when you go to rural America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's what, a story in rural America. As you've been talking, I know that one of the reasons I reached out to you is because you have a swing district, I guess, as they call it. You know, some of that stuff 
I think is meaningless to a lot of people's ears, right? But um, when people are talking about can a Democrat win in these areas where in more rural areas, and I, I really like Paolo and the Outrun Coalition, um, and everything you're saying doesn't sound like a city message or a suburban message or a rural message. It's very much a general message to anybody. Do you think that Democrats, especially um, who are trying, who are lacking in their outreach to other areas, need to invest more in trusting stories and values over like a twenty-page issue breakdown? Do you think that those stories are maybe more impactful about what they mean for you know what we're trying to do? Yes, yes, Tony. What I'm sharing here is it's not just a black American, not a white American. It's not Hispanic, not Asian. It is it is an American story. Mm-hmm. The struggle, the struggle, the economic struggle, the social struggle. That's what we are talking about here, <clears throat> and it has no color. Absolutely, has no color. And and those stories, Tony, are what is not what are those stories are not in Washington. They're not in Washington. I was telling people I'm running because I got somebody got to take the story of the struggling American into Washington. I have trauma joke when people look at me, whether it's my accent, whether it's the way I look, whether it's my background, there, it, 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 people are less likely to associate me with, with congressional material. I'm not, a, I, I'm not a typical congressional candidate. Mm-hmm. And, and the stories I bring, Tony, the story I'm bringing is a typical American story. A refugee, immigrant, rural urban, right. foster care, impoverished, well, you name it, it can't get better than that. I mean, we always, people have for years talked about immigration, refugees, obviously different, but um, in this few minutes, I'm like, oh, of course, this person who is a refugee is able to talk about rural issues and farming and taking care of rural communities in a way that few other members of Congress can because no one ever talks about that part of the rural community of uh, the refugee community, not the pro refugees or anti. No one ever talks about that, and here you just weave it in in a typical American story. Right, right, and 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 they what people always look at refugees and immigrant Tony as as people that are hard to reach, mm-hmm. and with that mindset, Tony, you don't get to to the bottom line of who who these people really are, and we. Tony, we, as refugees and immigrants are just regular Americans. They want safety of their children. They want stability. They want good jobs. They want to be taken care of, good health care. You know, they, they, they want that. And, 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 and no, we as refugees are never given a platform. We are always written off, always pushed off. You know, and then when people come to us, they are looking at us as, as coming as saviors. And so looking looking at us from a deficit point of view, as opposed to people with opportunity and people that, that can actually co- contribute and produce. We have, a lot of us here, have a knowledge of, of farming, the rural life. A lot of here, a lot of us here came from their rural community. Mm-hmm. It just happened that we were resettled in urban community. But a lot of us ha- have that. So, Tony, when I see when I see rural Americans going through what they go through, it breaks my heart. Right? It Why would you? My s- heart because I have lived there. I used to live in a place where the closest healthcare right facility, like 30, 40 miles away. 
Right. It sounds like why would you take somebody with that background? And I'm not to be dismissive of anybody's intentions. It could be good. But why take someone with the background you described and say, oh, let's send them to New York City in this urban area that they've never lived in when there's this other area that Americans might not think about where, oh, they could fit right in and live that life that because I think a lot of us, conservatives, moderates, liberals, whatever, have blinders on where we don't we don't understand things we don't understand sometimes. Correct, correct. And and that we, we immigration wise, we need to do better. We need to allow refugees, help refugees tell their own story. Mm-hmm. And what we have what we do very well in this country is tell other stories, other people's stories, and not allow them to tell their own stories. And and as somebody that came from poverty, that grew up in poverty, people are telling us, people who grew up from poverty, that we, let's give them a solution. No, 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 no. We are not looking for your solution. We are looking for, we are looking for you to, to listen to us. Listen to us. Listen to us. Let's let, let allow us to give you suggestions. Mm-hmm. What I have always said, Tony, is, is, the way you invest in people, especially the impoverished children, it's not, it's not, it's not to load up their food stamp. It's not to load up their food stamp. Well, that helps them. That helps. But if you really want to challenge this impoverished mindset and, and, and the environment they are in, give them an experience. Mm-hmm. Give them something to challenge their circumstances. Something that we don't do very well. Whether it's in school, we don't invest in, in schools around, around here. Especially our, our school here, in, especially in Syracuse, are constantly underfunded. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, does, that, that doesn't allow this 40%, 40% of children that are living under poverty, doesn't, allow, doesn't give them the experience they need to actually get out of poverty. Mm-hmm. And if they're out oh, yeah. of poverty, if they can have those experiences as young children, they will be more Correct. engaged voters, as you said in your story. They'll be more Correct. engaged citizens. Correct. Correct. And you know what that means, Tony? Invest in them by through experience. Give them an experience. If you want to really help these communities, give them an experience. I'm speaking from that because I wish, I wish growing up, I wish I had an experience. I wish I would have seen things out of, outside of my circumstances and outside of my environment. Mm-hmm. I wish I would have seen that because, and that's why I say that, Tony. When you give a person an experience, it is it is a lifetime gift. When you give them money, okay, they spend them for a day, a two, maybe a week, maybe a year. But an experience that opens somebody's mind is a lifetime. It's a lifetime gift that would that would keep giving. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why folks like me run. Because what we are doing is, is we are giving people who grew up like us a chance to look at things differently. We are, we, are, we are running to tell our own story, which is an American story that is consistently dismissed mm-hmm. and written. So um, the podcast is called You Should Run. You talked pretty well about the, the kind of stories and things that could get there. But I know you also talked about the challenges and kind of the, the cynicism of having to raise money. Um, and all these things you've knocked on thousands of doors. I know I, there's a picture, a story of you, you know, ruining your shoes because of all the walking you did, which I love. Um, why would you encourage other people to run for office? Um, maybe not Congress right now, but like, especially for city council and things like that, what would be your words of encouragement for others thinking about getting involved or maybe not thinking about getting involved, but have become apathetic and you want to bring them back and say, no, 
we need you to run. We can't leave things to take things for granted. Well, well, Tony, one of the things that, that, that attracted me to America a thousand and thousand miles away is the promising future that America has. And a promising future required today investment, setting up the foundation today, keep working on it. Pessimism, political apathy, those are against that, 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 that future that America promised. And I encourage people to continue to run because it, it, it's, 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 it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to build. It's the right way to build this country. Engagement is such a critical element to the future, to the future of American democracy. We got to be engaged. Now, listen from listen from a perspective of somebody that came from an environment that 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 did not allow that, where government did not allow its people to have a chance to engage. And when that happened, it run the country down. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that this country continue to be strong. We want to make sure that this country continue to give to its people, to the needy people. It, it continue to do what it's promised to do, which is take care of its people. And to be able to do that, we cannot allow pessimism. We cannot allow pessimism, regardless of our experience, to push us away from consistent engagement. We have to be consistently engaged to be able to build a stronger democracy and continue to nourish the America that so many people wish they were here. That's a, that's a great story. I I agree. I take my kids door knocking. We might come with me this weekend to get petitions for my, for many offices running here in Pennsylvania. I know you're starting to get that process rolling. The the early parts of the campaign are sometimes the hardest. Um, So if anyone's listening and you want to learn more about Toll Story, um, tollforcongress.com. If you don't go there, if you don't get there, his story is only not going to get enough attention. So please share it. Toll, I really am inspired by your story, and um, I wish you the best of luck in Syracuse. I hope that more people hear from you uh, there and beyond. Thank you. Thank you, Tony, for having me, and and I appreciate this platform uh, that you you continue to engage everyone and help feed everybody mind. This is this is a great platform and I appreciate you uh, speaking with me today. Thank you, Toll. Thank you for listening. And maybe if you're listening, you should run for office too. Uh, make sure to follow, subscribe, and share.